Good morning. So glad to have so many of you join us here this morning. If you're new here this morning, we welcome you. If, if you're just kind of visiting and, and passing through town, glad you, you made the time to come join us this morning. If you're looking for a church, uh, a church home, um, you know we would invite you to, to join us. We sure hope that, that this is a welcoming place for you and, and, and the, the Lord would feed you here. And if, and if not, there's lots of great churches in this town. Um, we, just, we just hope you get plugged in somehow, some way. Uh, Pastor Try is gone this week, so you guys get me. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ben. Um, I'm just kind of plugging in a little bit here for Try as he's uh, off this weekend with his family. Um, well, let's go ahead and just jump in and get started. So last week, Pastor Try taught about the problem with evil. He talked about the reality of evil in the world, that, that, that it exists, that it's, it's, it's a harsh reality that we contend with. It's but it doesn't exist outside of the authority of God. It exists within the authority of God, which means that, that God provides us a means to conquer, to, to overcome, to, to escape whatever grips of evil might come into our lives. So there's great hope in that. Evil is a real thing, and evil is something we must contend against. Uh, so, so naturally, we, we would think the opposite of evil would be good, right? And it is. Um, they're not equal things that battle against each other. That's what Tri's point was last week, is that evil is something less than what God provides for us. But this week, we're going to talk about good. So last week, the title of the sermon was The Problem with Evil, and there's certainly a problem with evil, right? This week, we're going to talk about the problem with good. And that sounds a little difficult to, to grab a hold of at first. Why would... Why would good be problematic in our lives. And so that's, that's the point. We're going to walk through that today and see what that means to us. Sometimes we struggle with knowing what good is. Well, what is good? Sometimes we see things that we say, man, that's, that's good. I'm glad that happened. And, and, and maybe it's actually got a negative effect in our lives. Or sometimes we look at things and say, man, that's bad. I wish that wouldn't have happened. But it actually has a really positive effect in our lives. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, open it up or turn it on, whatever you got. If you don't have a Bible, Man, there's one, you, you, we'll arm you with one. There's one under the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. And turn to Romans 8, 28. We're going to kind of base everything in this passage this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So, so there we see this word good show up, and it says that all things work together for good, right? Now, this is a passage that's oftentimes misconstrued. It's taken out of context or just misapplied. What is the good here that, that we're looking at? What does this passage mean? Does it mean that all things work together for good? No, not all things work together for good. There's a qualifier there. Does this mean that if you love God, you will experience all good things in this life? No, it certainly doesn't mean that. Does the good that it refers to here, does, does the good refer to things in this life, experiences we have, or, or things we accumulate? No, that's not what the good is here. All things, when it says all things, that refers to the things of this life, the things we experience, the things we accumulate, but the good does not. So what is good? What is Paul? So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. What is Paul referring to when he, when he mentions this to us? All right, we've got to back up a few pages 
to Genesis. All right? So quite a few pages. So we see the first picture of good there. God creates heaven and earth, and he says, man, it is good. And then he adds man to it and says, now it's very good, right? What is good? Well, we've got, we've got this unblemished creation. We've got this, this perfect, harmonious relationship between man and God without sin, and it's good. God says, that is good. That's what good looks like. Then sin comes along, right? The fall. And then it's not good, right? It's no longer good. What, what God created, His design isn't spoiled. His design is good, but our response, our, our free will response is not good. We, we've entered into something that is ugly. The evil that Tri talked about last week consumed men, in fact, so much to the degree that God said, all right, you're all gone. I'm going to hang on to just a few here in Noah's family, and we're going to kind of start over. That's not because he made a mistake. That's just part of the design. You see, everything that happens, we've talked about this for several weeks now, everything that happens, God has a perfect purpose for that. We saw that in Joseph's life, in Gideon's life. Um, Try talked two weeks ago about, about God's judgment in the nation of Israel, and sometimes God would say, hey, you need to go wipe out everything, right? Wipe out the whole thing. And that was because God's judgment is perfect. But also we see that if you don't remove all the bad, you're going to be contending with that forever. That's, that's, that's what the nation of Israel is dealing with. That's true in our lives also. So man is consumed with the evil to the point that God says, all right, we're just going to do away with you. That's not good. I mean, the earth didn't look good at that point. But you see, the Bible from Genesis on, from, from these early stories on, from the fall of man on, all the way to the end of the Bible, there's one theme. And that one theme is God's redemptive plan for mankind. God's plan to restore us, to reconcile us, despite that sin, despite that fall, despite that evil, to bring us back into relationship with Him, to restore us to where it started, to restore us to where He said, this is very good. The whole point of the Bible is to bring us back to this is very good, okay? So again, let's come back to this passage in 8.28 here. What is the good that we see here in Romans 8.28? Is it wealth? Is it healing? Is it family? Is it a spouse or children or a really loyal dog? What is this good that we, we see here? Is it to have a full belly, or, or is it maybe to have a um, Chateau de Hague fine dining experience that some of you might have enjoyed last night, right? These things are, are good, but it's not what we're talking about here. In fact, these things are good, but they're not necessarily good. I'm talking about here that we oftentimes associate as good in our lives, they exist for for believers, and they exist for non-believers alike, right? But look at this passage, 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, right? So there's a special kind of good here that's just for those who love God. You can hate God with all of your might and reject all of His authority and still experience all these good things we're talking about, right? You still have a spouse you love. You still have healing from sickness, you can still experience joys in this life. All those things exist to some degree for everybody, right? Whether you love God or not. So it's something more. 
And I think we see it as we dig further into the, to the passage here. Move me ahead. All right. Tane, are you moving this or am I moving this? Go one more. All right. So we know that God is doing this, but, but what is the good? So we see clues as we read through this passage here. So as we continue on the back half of this verse, it says, for those who are called according to his purpose. There's another qualifier here. The good is for those who are called according to his purpose. So we've got to understand, okay, what is his purpose? What is God's purpose for us? What is he doing in us? Well, I already mentioned it, right? His, his purpose is to restore us, to, his, to, to reconcile us to a relationship with him, a perfect, harmonious relationship with him, one in which we might glorify him just by being who, who he created us to be. That's the purpose. Keep reading the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. That's his purpose for us, is to be conformed to the image of his Son. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. That's necessary, right? Because remember we talked about, we've already fallen. We've, We've chosen evil. We've chosen sin. We've pursued that. We cannot have a right relationship with God unless we've been justified. So those he calls, he justifies. He does that work for us to justify those whom he called, right? And who's that? Who, that's who this whole thing is about, those who love God. That's who he's called. It keeps going. Those whom he justified, he also glorified, right? That, that point of, of that glorification, that's your ultimate place of sanctification. That, that, that perfect, that's, that's when you've achieved that redeemed relationship with God, that restoration where you share, go back up to the context in Romans 8 before we get to this passage, you see in verse 17, Paul is saying that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So that's what Paul tells us. We're to be glorified with Christ. So Christ exists in all eternity, right? Jesus the Son exists in all eternity. He comes to earth in human form just for a little while. And during that time, he he shows us how to live. He teaches us. He relates to us. He he understands what we've been through. And then he dies on the cross for our sake. And then he's brought back into heaven. And he's glorified there. And it's all about him. It's all about glorifying him. And what Paul is telling us is our purpose is so that we may also be glorified with Him. Because if we are glorified with Him, we are bringing Him the most glory we possibly can. That's, that's you got to see the correlation of all that context. And, and, and to look even further back, this whole section of this letter that Paul is writing, this, this section is talking about being heirs with Christ. See, Christ was not created and sent to earth so that Christ would enjoy good things on earth. He enjoyed very little good things on earth. He had good relationships with people, but even his good relationships with people, they were constantly letting him down, disappointing him, falling short of what he called them to. He says he didn't, he didn't even have a place to live. He, he, a fox has a den, but he's got no place to lay his head. He didn't accumulate good things. He didn't experience really good things. He experienced a lot of brokenness and heartache and hurt and pain. 
And, and Paul is relating his experience to us. We're going to see that further as we go along here. So remember, we're still trying to solve the problem. Okay, what is good? 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are unseen, to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what he is telling us here in this, in this passage, in 820, he's saying all things, for those, that God has, for those of you that God has called to be in this relationship with him, those of you that love him, he's working all things for the good. All things are all things, everything. He, he doesn't get like all things, good, bad, hard, easy, all things are working together for the good. The good that he's talking about is to, to restore you in relationship with him. That's the point of all the things we're experiencing, to, to prepare us for this eternal weight of glory that Paul writes about here in 2 Corinthians. That's the good. The good is not what you experience in this life. The good is God preparing you to be in relationship with him for all eternity. That's the good. So when we see that all things work together for this good, we've got to understand that we do receive blessing, we do receive enjoyable things in this life, but just like all the hard, harsh, difficult circumstances we go through, it's all pointing us to being in a glorified relationship with God. All of it, everything we experience, that's the good. So when we say God is working for good, what it means is God is putting something in your life to help draw you or someone around you into a perfect relationship with Him, one in which you might be glorified and enjoy His presence for all of eternity in heaven. That's why Christ died. Christ died on the cross for that purpose. Everything that happens is just aiming for that. The things that are seen here are transient, but they're not insignificant. Those are the things that draw us into that relationship. So the things that are seen are things that we experience here on this earth, right? The woman at the well, she was thirsty. That's a thing that is seen, right? That's, that's a, a, an earthly thirst. But it was her earthly thirst that Christ used to point her to her need for Jesus, right? That's a thing that's unseen. So this transient need of her to be quenched with water was there to prepare her for this eternal weight of glory, was there to show her her need for Christ. It's not insignificant. Everything you endure here on this earth is not insignificant because it all is preparing you for that good, bad, wonderful, joyful, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. It's all preparing you for that. None of it's insignificant. All right, so what do we do then with, with the other stuff, the stuff we call good, right? Because so many times in your life you say, man, I am so blessed. I, I just feel so blessed God has provided this job for me. I, I'm so blessed that, that uh, you know, I, I've got this wonderful family. I just, I just feel so blessed because God has provided me for these things. But not many of us say, man, I just feel so blessed today because I got fired. I feel so blessed now because I just got diagnosed with this terminal illness. Man, I feel blessed. We don't do that as often, Right? But what Scripture is teaching us is that all those things are just as valuable. They're all pointing us to this eternal relationship with God. They all have value. Everything we experience has that kind of value. 
But God does gift us with wonderful experiences in this world, right? It is wonderful to have children and, and to enjoy that. It's, it's wonderful to have a spouse that you can enjoy stuff with. It's wonderful, wonderful to have a job that, that helps pay your bills or to be able to go on vacation and, and get the rest maybe that you need to, to continue in God's service. These things are, are good, right? As long as we receive them in the right context. But that's the tricky part sometimes. Because these things are good and they're designed for good. God designs us to experience joy and enjoyment and pleasure in this world. But sometimes we take the things that God gives us for joy and enjoyment and pleasure and we distort it and we make it something it's not supposed to be. And it consumes us in an evil way. All right, so there's some dangers to the good things. There's some dangers to the joys that God gives us. This is not a uh, an exhaustive list, and it's also important to understand that these three things we're going to talk about are all not really distinct from each other. They all overlap with each other. They're all kind of part of the same problem. So the first danger about the good things in our life is that the blessing can become an idol. The second thing we'll talk about is that we lose sight of the gift giver sometimes when we're enjoying the good things in life. Or three, we become comfortable, and our comfort leads to complacency. That's not where God wants us. The blessing becomes an idol. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, as the crowds are gathering around him, he's, became, he's becoming very popular as he's healing people, and, and these crowds gather around him and say, oh, we want to follow you, Jesus. And he says, really? In verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's hard, right? That's a hard thing. Because we know, I mean, God teaches us in Psalm that, that like children are a gift, right? That, and we see in, in the Song of Solomon that, that the relationship we have with our spouse is a joyful thing. This is a good thing that God has given us. But now Jesus is saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, What? What does that mean? He goes on in verse 33. He, finally, he, he talks about this morning. In verse 33, he says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If we're placing anything in our lives, any good thing that God has gifted us, if we're placing the value of that above the value of Christ in our life, we're not, we're not being his disciple. We're not following him. What you're doing is you're following yourself. You're still making yourself the most important thing, because you're still trying to satisfy that part of you that says, this is good for you, Ben. This is good for you. Do it anyway. I, I, that passage goes on to say that salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored, right? That, that's linked specifically to what Jesus is talking about right before that, to this thing where he says, Look, if you're not willing to give up everything to follow me, then you're going to lose your saltiness. He uses these examples about if you're going to build something, right? If you're going to, if you're going to build this building, before you start, you want to make sure that you can afford it. You want to make sure that you can buy all the pieces to put this together. Because if you start, if you start building this building, then run out of stuff and you've got an incomplete building, you're going to look like a fool. If you go into war and you're going to go fight this enemy, you need to learn about your enemy and make sure that you've got enough troops, enough resources, 
to actually win this thing. Otherwise, you're going to jump right into it, run out of resources, get wiped out, you're going to lose, and you're going to be made a fool, right? So what he's telling us, before you choose to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to choose now to be all in. Because if you're not, you're going to start following me. It's going to get hard. And you're going to say, man, this, I, I don't want to give that up. I'll follow you. Just I don't really want to give that up. And as soon as you decide that you can't afford to follow Jesus because you don't want to give up what he's asking you for, you've lost your saltiness. You're of no good in the kingdom. If you're going to choose to follow Jesus, that means you make him the most important. He's got to be the paramount thing. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, he talks a lot about, about our relationship with money and, and, and with giving up things. In Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So right before that, right before, again, context matters, right? If you're reading, a little side note here, if you're reading your Bible... Dr. Phil and I were talking about this morning. If you read in your Bible, you cannot just look at a passage and verse and say, oh, I get that. You cannot do that unless you look before it and after it and see the whole context of what Jesus is, is teaching us or what God's showing us in this. So here in verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. If he says, therefore, he means whatever was right before that matters. What he was talking about right before that is don't store for yourselves treasure in heaven. Don't put your, or store, I'm sorry, store for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. The things you store here on earth it's of no value. Don't be anxious for your life. You don't need to be anxious for your life. You don't need to worry about providing for yourself. I got you. Even the Gentiles do that. Even those who don't follow God, they do that very same thing. But you know what? They're provided for. The birds in the air, they're, they're, they're provided for. The, the grass in the fields are clothed with beautiful lilies. You don't need to focus on providing for yourself because I already know that you need that and I've got you covered. In verse 33, Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, but seek first, he says, don't worry about yourself, don't worry about taking care of yourself, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you now, be careful with this. He's not saying, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then I'll provide for you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, don't worry about all that. That, that's, that stuff's covered. You can try as hard as you want, and you're still not going to provide any more for yourself than if you just leave it alone. I remember, I've, I've shared this with a few people. I remember when I was in this service, when I'd prepare to go away, right? When I'd be gone for however long I was deployed. I, I remember praying, saying, God, please take care of my family while I'm gone, right? And I think I've shared that in here. That, that's so stupid, right? I mean, wh how stupid is that? Like, like, he's taking a day off when I get back? He's taking care of my family whether I'm here or not. I am, if, if I think I'm the one taking care of my family, I'm fooling myself. It's still God doing it whether I'm here or not. Right? So you can toil and work to make sure you've got enough money saved in the bank for your retirement. You can toil and work to make sure that you're providing for your family. But if you would just focus on serving God, that stuff's not going to be any less taken care of. You're not actually making a difference. Seek first the kingdom of God. Just like we saw in the previous passage. Make Christ paramount. Make His kingdom paramount the utmost, the most important thing, and these other things will take care of themselves. 
That's not to say there won't be hardship. That's not to say it will always be taken care of. Sometimes people starve. Sometimes people don't have the things they need. But it's not because they weren't trying hard enough. It's not because they weren't toiling after those things. That was just their hand that they were dealt. Them trying harder wouldn't have made a difference. The second thing we need to be careful of with good things in our lives is that we do not lose sight of the gift giver. And this is very closely related to that. We, 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 oftentimes, we oftentimes receive these good gifts and it becomes so easy to live life. And especially us in this country, right? I mean, think of your problems. And I know, some, I know we have real problems. I know we have real hurts and pains. Let's, let's think about the things that oftentimes irritate us. And we're big babies sometimes, right? But we become so comfortable in our lives. We become so accustomed to our house being 68 degrees, right? Or whatever it is that makes us comfortable. We become so used to that that anything outside, like, what is going on? Why is my house only 65 degrees? That's your problem. Seriously? We become so comfortable that we, we lose sight of the fact that God calls us to more than that. See, God will continue to provide for you. And we have to recognize His provision in our lives. We have to stay tuned into that. And He's always provided for us. Genesis 3, 7 and 21. So back in Genesis 3, this is where, where Adam and Eve sin. And now they feel shame. They're naked. For the first time, they recognize this in their own lives. They're always naked, but now they realize it. And it seems problematic to them. They try to cover it up themselves. And, and they make fig leaves, and this is not going to work out. So God says, I'm going to provide skins for you. So there's a, a blood sacrifice, the shedding of blood to cover them up. God provides what they need to move on. Genesis 22 Verse 14, this is where Abraham goes up to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he's about ready to do it. He's about ready to drive that dagger through his son as God has instructed him. God says, wait, stop, whoa. Look over here, there's a ram stuck in the thicket for you. God provides the sacrificial lamb. God provides the blood sacrifice in place of Isaac. And Abraham says, God, you are a provider. Jehovah Jireh, God, you provide. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Same exact thing, right? We're, we're called to pay this penalty for our sin, but God provides another blood sacrifice, another lamb to die in our place. That's Christ Jesus. God provides for us, just like we see in Matthew 6.33. If we just focus on serving Him, that doesn't mean we lose the good things in life, that means God provides that force without us worrying about it. God will provide for you when you do it His way. The third danger, the third thing we need to be careful of is this idea of becoming too comfortable. And we've, I've already talked somewhat about this. In our, the last thing I was talking about, in our comfort, we lose sight of the fact that God is the one who's providing. God is the one who's doing this for us. It, sometimes we just expect it to be there, right? We, we just expect that this thing I've always experienced is going to be there. 
Well, He doesn't owe it to us. You're not entitled to the good things you experience. You've got to understand the good things you experience are a gift from God because He loves you and He wants you to experience this joy. Don't become entitled, right? That's a dangerous place to be. That, that leads into this next topic about being too comfortable. What, what's the problem with being too comfortable? We become complacent, right? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're created to do something, not do nothing. You're created to go out and do these things that Christ has laid out for you. Sometimes in our comfort, as we, as we take satisfaction in the joys and the comforts of our world, it makes us complacent. We just sit in it and get comfortable in that, and, and we don't do what God has called us to do. We are called to be active, out there doing something for the kingdom. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. Don't stand in love. Walk in love. It's an active thing to go out and do. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, think about that. How did Christ love us and, and walk in love for us? He wasn't enjoying many creature comforts, was he? It was a sacrificial walk in love. He was out there on the line all the time, making himself uncomfortable so that we could enjoy. Same thing with Paul. Paul goes through a, a whole list of things where he says, man, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been flogged, I've been um, deserted by those who love me, I've been let down. This is my life and I do it in service of Christ. That's, what we're, that's, that's the walk in love that we're called to do, right? That doesn't mean our life is called to be miserable, it's not at all. We'll get to that here in a minute. It doesn't, our life isn't miserable because we're pursuing what God has called us to do. But if we get too comfortable, right? And, and, and the things we get comfortable in, it's kind of sad sometimes, right? Because even in church, we get comfortable, right? A lot of you are sitting in the same seat you sit in all the time. That's not bad, Right? But would you be irritated if someone else was sitting in your spot? You might be. That's an unhealthy comfort, guys. Sometimes, sometimes the way a service goes is, is different than what we're comfortable with. Right? Well, we're, we're not here for us. We're, we're here because Christ is good and holy and worthy of our hearts to pour out praise to Him. That can happen no matter how uncomfortable the thing happening is if it's not ungodly, unbiblical, right? So be careful where we find our comfort. And it's okay to be outside of that sometimes because God's still good. He's still worthy of our praise even when it's uncomfortable to do it. If you think that you can't praise God properly, if you can't get to a, a point where your heart can actually give God the praise He's worthy of because the service isn't going the way you like it. Think about Paul in prison singing praises. That is not exactly the perfect ideal worship service setting, right? It seemed to work out all right for him. He's still singing praise. His heart is pouring out the praise to God because our praise is based upon Christ's worth, not the comfort of our circumstances in which we're praising him, right? So be careful of your comfort. Paul goes on in Ephesians, he says, finally, 
be strong. This is at the end of the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. He says, be strong and courageous, or be strong and put on the, the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Notice here, this is really important. He didn't say, for we will someday wrestle against flesh and blood. He didn't say this is something that's going to happen in the future. He says, for we wrestle. We wrestle now against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is happening at the time Paul is writing this. This is happening now. This, this spiritual warfare. So he goes on to tell us, put on the armor of God. You put on the armor when you're at war. Are you living your life like you're at war? Or are you comfortable? God has blessed you with good things. But the purpose of those good things in your life are to wage war against Satan. You have those good things to point you to God's goodness so that you lean on Him, rely on Him, trust Him, so that you can succeed in this war, this spiritual warfare. Are you living your life like you're at war? If not, you're missing something. And you're probably not, you're probably thinking, I don't really feel like I'm at war. That's because the devil doesn't really give a hoot about you if you're just standing on the sidelines. He's not going to attack you there. He doesn't have to. You're already weak and lame over there by yourself standing on the sidelines. He didn't need to attack you there. You're not doing any damage. You're not doing what God has called you to do. So what is that? All right. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? So is it bad to enjoy wealth? Of course not. Is it bad to really enjoy the experiences with your family, with your spouse, with your children? Of course not. We're, we're, we're meant to enjoy these things. These things aren't bad, but, but in all these things we're experiencing, enjoying time skiing up at Antelope Butte, enjoying... Uh, hunting season, enjoying going to the movies with your kids, in, enjoying having a 12-pack at Taco Bell, right? See what I noticed there? The t- Taco 12-pack, right? So in all these things, in all these things, as we're enjoying these things, we're to do it with the glory of God in mind. Is that our purpose? When you go to work, when you go to work, are you doing it for the glory of God? If you're doing it for your boss, it's going to be miserable to be there, right? But in all things we do, do it for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. That's our role. If you are doing that, you are actually engaged in the spiritual warfare in an effective way. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. And this is where, remember I told you, life does not have to be miserable to be obedient to God. There's blessing in it, Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our what? In our affliction, right? In fact, I'm, I'm going I'm to turn there because there's more to this. Blessed be the God and Father. Notice the repetition as I read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for this is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There's a lot of comfort there, right? There's a lot of repetition to this. See, we oftentimes try to find comfort in the gifts from God rather than in God himself. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because when we're doing that, we're not sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we experience the true comfort that God can give us. And that's a hard place to get ourselves. That's the importance of, of what Paul writes here in just a, two pages later. And I already read this, but I'm going to read it again. That for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light, momentary affliction that we're enduring, that's, that's hard things sometimes, but it's also good things. It's also joyful things. It's all preparing us for something way more significant, unmeasure, immeasurably more significant than this life here. And if we're doing anything in this life that distracts us from that eternal purpose, we're missing the point. We're not where God wants us to be. So again, this topic we're talking about right now, this, this bullet point, um, don't get too comfortable because your complacency is not where God wants you to be. He has designed you in a perfect way for you to be actively engaged in this world for His glory, right? Matthew 25, 15, this is the parable of the talents. We talked about this in our small group the other night. God, that, that passage says that each was given talents. Maybe I should give more context. So Jesus is teaching a parable, and, and He says in this parable, he's, he's talking to His disciples, and He says, all right, so a master goes away. And he calls three of his servants to him. And he gives some talents. So talents are, are dollar, are money. It, it's, a, it's a unit of, of money, a big unit, of, lots of money. A big chunk of money. A talent is a, is a lot. And he gives five to one, two to another, and one to another. And he says he gives those, those talents to each according to his ability. Okay? They already have the ability. He's not giving them ability. The talent is not their ability. They already have the ability. Where did the ability come from? Their creator, right? God created them with an ability. God created them with a, a predestined skill set, purpose, a capability to complete the work that Jesus has designed for them. We talked about that in Ephesians, right? The, the good works that Jesus has designed for them. He's built into you when he created you a capability to perform that. And then... God is giving you opportunities to glorify God based on your capabilities. What are you doing with that? Are you complacent? Do you have God-given abilities and you're letting these opportunities pass you by? The opportunities to share His glory with people around you. You're just letting it pass you by. 
because you're comfortable. You're complacent in the good things that you have to experience. God calls you to more than that. I promise you that the greatest comfort you can possibly experience in the things that are seen is nothing, nothing compared to the blessing God has in store for you through your obedience. God's perfect plan to restore you to a place of glory with Him is good. In fact, it's very good. That's that's what Romans 8.28 is telling you. God has a perfect plan to bring you into holy and perfect relationship with Him that's flawless, where He'll dry every tear, heal every wound. That is good. Every, and it's all things, the things that are seen, that draw us to that. So the blessings, the gifts, the good things that you experience here on earth, just like the bad things, that's to draw you or maybe others around you into that good, holy, perfect relationship. Don't lose sight of the purpose for which God has gifted you. He wants you to enjoy it, but He wants you to use it in a way that you understand and recognize and reflect His good, perfect plan for your life, in your own life and the lives of the people around you, that we all might have hope to enjoy this kind of perfect relationship, which He has initially and perfectly designed us for. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the way you bless us, for the way you, the way you designed this, this earth that we might take such great pleasure and joy in so many things you've given us, God. Lord, protect us from the, the schemes of the devil that, that fool us into thinking that these things can be fulfilled in some other way, that the joys, the satisfactions are, are for something other than your perfect purpose. Draw us near to you, God. Remind us throughout the week, Father, that you have a holy, perfect plan for us, and that does not end here in this life, but it's so much bigger than this. Orient our perspective, Lord, that we might see your plan in all that we experience and all that we do, that we might know that we are blessed even when it's painful, that we might know that we're blessed even when we feel hurt, that we might know that we're blessed by you for a perfect plan all the time. Put us to work, Lord. Help us to see in our own lives those areas where you would have us use these gifts you've given us, not for our own selfish comfort, but to bring glory to you and your kingdom, Father. Convict us that we might turn these things over to you. You're the gift giver. These things are yours, Father. And we thank you for letting us be a part of the joys of this life, that we might be prepared for the joys of the next. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.